0: Welcome back to the Noggin Notes podcast. My name is Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host. And boy, do we have a treat in store for you today. I spent the last couple of days down in Las Vegas doing some stuff related to my licensing board, but also connecting with Mike Sodini of Walk the Talk America. If you have not heard yet about Walk the Talk America's efforts to bring the gun ownership community and the mental health communities together on the same page to combat mental illness and uh, destigmatize both sides of, of the the debate, you really need to Walkthetalkamerica.org org is where you would go, and you can find out more. So, this conversation with Mike also includes uh, Sheree Miller, and Sheree is a fascinating human being, and you're going to learn all about her. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it up front here, but she's absolutely incredible, and I was I was really humbled to be in the presence of two people who are so selfless. Um truly selfless in what they're trying to bring to the world and make uh, make life a better place for everybody. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. I really enjoyed being around them. It was awesome. And uh, if you haven't yet also checked out our Audible trial, you should do that too because for every person who goes and signs up for a 30-day trial through Audible, Naga Notes gets a little bit of money from that and we get helped out and that helps to pay for things like um, new software for the computer that I just bought and this uh, microphone into which I'm speaking and some of the acoustic Sound material that I have scattered around my office. So go to audibletrialcom Notes and you can sign up very quickly. They do a quick survey to see what you're into, and then they can customize the the list that they show you of books that you can download and listen to. They don't just have audiobooks; they've got news programs and original content from all sorts of producers and publishers and authors. And it's it's truly unmatched. Audible is an Amazon company, so they got a lot of reach and and power in order to bring all these this whole variety of, of subjects and texts into your uh, subscription and your domain so audibletrial.com slash noggin notes is where you would go sign up for a free 30-day trial you can cancel at any time and you get to keep the free audiobook that they give you when you excuse me when you sign up for that trial so uh, audibletrial.com slash noggin notes help us out help yourself out and um on with the show. This is me talking with Sherey Miller and Mike Sodini. Enjoy. Well, today we're interviewing Mike Sodini from Walk the Talk America. Hey, Mike. Hello. Good. I'm glad our sound checked work. That's. Uh, we're going to move the cord out of the way here. Not that it interferes, but. And uh, Sheree Miller. Hi, Shrey. Hi. And Sheree is a friend of Mike's. You guys recently met, and um, you've got some cool stuff going that our audience is going to be really fascinated to hear about, I think, because part of what this podcast does is inspire others by uh, the missions that people are doing in their own. Mike's founded Walk the Talk America, which is trying to bridge the gap between gun ownership and mental health care. Uh, because for a long time, we've uh, the the two camps, I guess you could say, have long stood across this uh, self-imposed chasm, staring awkwardly at one another, suspiciously, and you're trying to bridge that gap, which is very cool, and we've had you on the podcast before, and Sheree and Mike met recently at a a concert, I think, and you guys uh, just hit it off, and I'm going to stop there, because I'm going to let you guys pick up that conversation and tell us why this is working um, because we've spent the last couple of hours here. We're in Las Vegas, by the way, for the listening audience. Normally, we record this from Reno, but I happen to be down here for a different purpose. And I'm staying with Mike, and we decided to record a podcast. But we've been, we, the three of us have been talking. I said I was going to stop there, but I'm not stopping there. <laughs> But um, it's all good. The three of us have been talking, and I think what you guys have, have struck on is really fascinating. So maybe we'll start with Mike. Bring us up to speed on what Walk the Talk is doing, and then Sheree, I want you to talk about your nonprofit stuff.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, well, let's. Let me just tell the story. Of how I'm yeah, yeah, there. yeah. Start there. Yeah. let start there. Here. So, uh, and I shop at Forever 43. I was at the Bell Bid DeVoe and Bobby Brown concert that, that
0: that would be a joke about forever 21 right <laughs> yes
1: that's why i play on Flip. cuz we're
0: all uh, uh, people <laughs> of a certain age
1: now right i you, when yeah, you yeah, say yeah. you're going to the velvet the vogue concert you pre- and bobby you pretty much <laughs> age yourself yeah that's poison uh, so girl i must warn you <laughs> <laughs> No okay. so bear with us listening audience we will <laughs> yeah. eventually get to a point. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to a point. Um no so you know one of the philosophies of Walk Talk America was not just make your own policies and programs but it was like find people and I I say this all the time I call it my badass ninja angels like people that are out in the streets doing real work or wanting to do something that you can feel it. Like mm-hmm. you can actually feel it when they're talking about it. So one of the cool things is like the night we met I had didn't say anything about owning a nonprofit organization um, or running a nonprofit. (laughs) Nobody owns a nonprofit organization. Right. So uh, it was kind of cool because I was listening to what she was talking about and and she can get to that. I'll let her tell her own story But I felt this, like I felt it was real. I could touch it. Like I I knew she's coming from a good place, with a good heart. So, We started talking and then eventually I let her go long enough to there. Then I told her about my nonprofit and she was talking about the things that she wanted to do. So that's how, that's how we met. But this is how life works. Like here we are a week later, like coming together. A lot of
0: really cool, I think, divine interaction when we get people brought together and we can't explain it. And, and I don't think we need to explain it. We just need to experience it and be in the moment and appreciate for what it is. So Sheree, uh, tell us what, tells us what you're all about and how you got here and how you met Mike and did you like Belle Biv DeVoe and Bobby Brown?
2: <laughs> oh, well, I love Belle Biv DeVoe and Bobby Brown. I was upset that I got there late. So I actually, it was a fluke. So I feel like everything is just, it just happens crazy. It's all divine actually, because I wasn't even supposed to be at the concert. I was with my grandchildren swimming for the day and one of my friends called me and asked me did I want to go to the concert it was super late I got there late but I got there and I actually end up sitting next to Mike and uh we jammed out to the concert and then after they're like well you know I'm gonna be here and I was like well if we make it you know I'll I'll find you guys and so I end up finding them, and uh we just vibed from there and I was telling him that you know, I wanted to start a nonprofit, profit uh, transitional housing for foster families and that I was a foster parent myself and I have adopted children. I was just telling my story and how important, uh, you know, just having counseling, family counseling or individual counseling or just knowing yourself and making sure you get yourself together and knowing what the root of your own problem is before you can help other people because that was my story. I was in foster care myself. And you know, I was going through a lot of inner battles with myself from what it happened to me, and I ended up going to counseling and getting some counseling to find out what the root of my problem was. and it helped me help other people. and then he told me that he had a nonprofit, so it kind of just spiraled from there.
0: I love that you just plugged mental health and counseling as like the awesome way to know oneself in order to help others. And I would love to spend the entire podcast just fluffing our own profession, but I don't want to do that. What I want to do is find out more about both of you and why you managed to connect uh, in this very, I think, culturally bizarre way. I think most people think of, you know, when nonprofits connect, they connect over some common theme or how they can help each other. But, But you guys are very, I think what most people think of as being quite far apart philosophically at least. I mean, Mike's trying to bring gun culture and mental health together. You're trying to establish transitional housing for foster care people. Like, what's what's the commonality there? What? How does it Explain that to, to the layperson who doesn't understand the, the spiritual connection among people who just want to do the right thing for humanity.
2: Well, for me, he spoke wholeheartedly about mental health. My mother is bipolar, and my father is a major depressant, and my mother is a major depressant also, so... For me, like I stated earlier, I think that life skills and just getting counseling and just knowing, I mean, in my culture, people think that because I'm African American. So in my culture, people think that counseling is just for people of other ethnicities, like, oh, like the stereotype is like counseling is just for white people. But that's not the case. Like, it really does. Help you. Well, it helped me. Let me not just put it broadly for out there for everyone else. It helped me learn who I was as a person and how I can help other people. So when he spoke about that, it touched me because that's what basically I felt like I did for the families that I helped in foster care. Because like I said, I was a foster parent myself. And so in order for me to be a foster, I didn't want the kids to feel like I was their mother or I was trying to take their mother or their father's place. So I wanted their parents to be able to be there with them. But some parents don't know how to be parents. I was a parent at 18 years old. Mm. So some parents just don't know how to be parents. They don't know about doing homework with their children. They don't know about family game nights. Mm -hmm. They don't know about having a... Uh, sit-downs. Like, I had sit-downs and I let my kids speak about whatever they felt. If they had an issue with me, it was kind of like a conference. Like, we had Mm -hmm. like a family conference. A family meeting is what we called it. It's family meeting night. So, basically everybody sits down and they say what their issue is with each person that is in the house. So, if one son had an issue with another son, they'll speak on it. If one of my sons had an issue with something that I may have said and did, they'll speak on it. So, It's not that I'm giving them the power. It's just I'm giving them the opportunity to speak their mind and let them them know that I hear what they're saying. I'm still your mother. I'm still the parent. But I want you to know that I hear you. And maybe, you know, sometimes we don't parent in the right way. So hearing their perspective on things makes it a little bit more easy not easy, but you know it just makes Well, it the makes it understandable. It gives a common ground,
0: yeah. and and you give them an audience that I think a lot of kids don't necessarily have, and, and and for the listening audience, if you're if you're trying to understand how to give a kid the the ability to speak up without giving them the power. What you do is what we call validation. So you, you give them an audience, but you don't necessarily give them decision-making power. Right. You, you validate them and you get them heard and, and that sort of thing. And I want to talk more about this uh, transitional uh, foster living situation. I'm not sure yet what to call it I, because it's it's so many things and it's so innovative. But right now, I just want to um, have Mike give his reflection on your guys' first meeting because – I, I'm, I'm driving toward a a conclusion here about why you connected, but I want to hear it first from you.
1: Uh, well, obviously, it's the Belva DeVoe connection. And obviously. We're all there, right? We're all this yeah. the, this crew that enjoys this music from this era. But um, I I I literally go through life, and, and I, I try to like hear people. I let them talk, and she had mentioned some things about herself that really. Kind of, I, I to me, like I said, it's like that sainthood, that mentality. So when she was just talking about her life in a regular way, not bragging about anything, saying, I do this and I foster 11 kids and that type of thing, I was like, All right, just keep going, right? Yeah. Like, just listen, 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 listen. And then at one point, she had brought up that, Hey, you know, people tell me, because I, I, I said, remember, I said to you, I looked at you, I said, You're like a saint. And you're like, Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> right? Well,
0: then, isn't that the hallmark of like all people who do amazing work is that they don't want the credit. Like right. they just want to do the work and the, and the credit comes in the form of watching amazing things happen. It's not about exactly. the accolades from external right, exactly. validation. It's about just like I did the right thing and that was the right thing to do. And then right. now we move on. And so you saying you're like a saint, I felt the same thing when, when we were talking earlier in the kitchen, um, when you first do I'm talking to Shanae, Sheree right now, or like the audience can't see this cause it's, it's the first time I've had two people on this podcast. <laughs> it's hard to navigate without a camera, but um, Sheree was talking about what she did. And I'm, I, I was, I was honestly overwhelmed with the work and the authenticity and the honesty. And that's really hard to find in most people. And the first thing that popped in my head was she's a saint. And I'm looking at Mike now at, because we're tracking on this but I didn't say it because I knew it would sound like a platitude
2: and he said it and he did
0: say it and I didn't and I was know like, that
2: I don't know about all of that yeah
0: and, and, and he was
2: like no you are yeah. I'm like okay well I'll just take what you said
0: there but but I think the point is when when you set aside if I can tr- kind of put a bow on this when you set aside self for the benefit of others and you value others as greater than yourself and you make or service your mission, there is no room for credit or accolades because it's not about you anymore by the very definition of what you're doing. And so receiving credit is about you. And so you, of course you're going to reject it. And both of you guys are doing this in your own stripes. And I think that my theory on why you connected was that you both saw the very uh, intrinsic divine humanity in one another that had nothing to do with the accomplishments or the nonprofits or the 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 funding or the the people you're chasing or the social media. It was just like two humans connecting. It was like, hey, we're both we both have this mission and philosophy that we're gonna serve others and make great stuff happen in the world. And of course you would both end up in this setting with me interviewing you because that's how amazing things happen like, <laughs> like I did I planned this trip for a different reason and Mike's like stay with me I was like all right cool and he's like oh by the way I met this really great gal and and she's coming over I was like oh okay cool and then we start talking I was like hey you know what, Trey you should be on a podcast she's yeah. like I've never done that before right well it's, well, it's happening <laughs> so that's really cool and, and it's it's neat to talk about how we we serve others and that of course I guess is a self-serving statement because we're advertising it on the podcast um but the idea is that we're we're gonna try to in engage others and inspire them to do the same we're all just we're all just lay people doing this right and uh, mike has a well, point to make
1: the other thing too i want to point out is like you know when listening to someone talk and i don't want people to think like she just we sat down and i i was with my friend cj there's a whole crew there it wasn't like she started just talking about like the world's falling Hey, down. Hear my stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, and I have 11 foster kids. It wasn't like that. When she showed mm-hmm. up to the concert because we had all these tables, she brought an energy to the concert, like meeting her friend there that we all noticed. It was like, okay, this yeah. she's having a good time. So it transitioned into us outside of the Hard Rock Bar talking. Um, and then also, too, without me mentioning the 501C3 that I have, Walk Talk America, you know, she started talking about grant writing. There was things that she was talking about that I knew she was a little bit more serious than the average person because I talk to ac- people all the time, and I think they actually want to do good, right? Like their their heart's in the right place. I agree. I think most people do. Is that, is that your experience? Yes, most all people want to do good. Most people want to do good, right? But sometimes not the
2: action to it that right and falls or, short.
1: Or sometimes yeah. you say "grant," the word "grant," and no one knows what you're talking about. Right, like they're like, I don't know what you're talking like, about. Like the former president?
0: <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant? grant
1: right. No. no, but like so that so that was the other thing too. I knew that she was kind of serious because she had looked into certain things. Skills, and we this is how we started having this talk yeah. this week. I have I know nothing about grants. I know nothing about grant writing. And she does. <laughs> mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Like, so it was like, look, let's help each other because we both want to help. Yeah. I'm intrigued by helping. That was the walk-to-talk America philosophy, right? It doesn't matter who gets the credit. Or, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Like, let's just go
0: help people. And yeah, let's... if people stop dying, then we all win. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. If people stop suffering, we all win. If uh, kids stop getting raised in abusive and neglectful environments, mm-hmm. then we all win. Because our kids are sharing those playgrounds. And if those kids who are struggling with those issues stop taking out their aggression on everybody else, then we all win. So, yeah, of course health and healing is at the center of it. And in order to do that, you got to get out of your own way. I want to, I want to shift back. This, this whole concept of uh, transitional housing for foster kids is um, pretty mind-bending. So, uh, now it's coming from a guy who's spent about 10 years in the mental health field, I worked in home with, uh, with largely foster kids or kids in transition, and um, that's how I cut my teeth many years ago, and it's continued. And I've worked a lot with social services and um, county human services agencies in rural Nevada, and I understand foster care fairly well. I understand adoptive care fairly well. I'm never going to stake myself out as an expert because I think that's highly arrogant. I think there's always something to learn. And that being said, you proposed this idea earlier when I said, you know, what what is this that you're about here with this this thing. And you said, "Well, I want to I want to invite invite the parents in and involve them." And I said, "What do you mean invite the parents? You mean the biological parents of the foster kids?" And you said, "Absolutely." And then you described what it is that you do. And I'm not going to steal your thunder. I want you to describe it the way that you described it to me over in the kitchen earlier. So go ahead and do that because I think it's revolutionary.
2: So I was a foster parent of 11 kids. And yes, I did have 11 kids at one time, my kids included. And um, what I did was I went to the courts with the parents and I asked the courts if it was okay for the parents to live with me. Now, of course, there was stipulation and rules to this. It wasn't like they was just coming in free for all going and they had to sign a contract and they had to comply with whatever the Department of Social Services said that they had to comply with to get their children back. So, being that I was in foster care, I kind of understand. Basically, you have a year to two years to get your life together before they, the foster mm-hmm. system decides whether or not they're going to take your children from you.
0: Mm-hmm. And per- I permanently, permanently. For, for people who don't understand, there's there's a process. Um, if if, for example, a, a parent is struggling with something, they um, they might be into substance abuse, or they might be neglectful, or you know, for whatever reason, or they might be violent and abusive. Um, and say a neighbor or a school counselor, or a teacher, or a, cl- or a mental health professional calls uh, CPS and says, "Hey, I'm concerned about this kid." And they go investigate. Rarely do they remove kids from homes. Very, very rarely. And I want to I want to highlight that it's 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 a quite the outlier. If a child gets removed from a home, usually it takes um, an extreme act or a series of buildups where there's been some interventions that have failed. So social service is not in, in, interested in removing kids from homes for a variety of reasons, but chiefly because they don't have any place to put them uh, and also because it separates them from their, their family of origin, which we know through research is detrimental. So it's, it's a last case scenario. Mm-hmm. But when they do... There's a, there's a reunification plan in place, mm-hmm. and that reunification plan includes things like um, attending all your appointments, getting right with yourself, and getting clean and sober, if that's the thing. So um, what you did is you were not only in foster care yourself, mm-hmm. but you became a foster parent, and you, you hosted these, these kids who were in this transitional period, one to two years typically. Sometimes it's shorter, yeah. six to eight, nine months maybe, um, but then there's a determination made if the parents of the child are not complying, an axe falls, and they say, you're no longer allowed rights to your children, and then they're up for adoption, Mm -hmm. or maybe they age out Out, of foster care. Or
2: they're in the group home, depending on their age and their mental health. So that's where mental health comes in a lot. Mm -hmm. But, um, so basically what I did was I wanted to keep the kids together, the families together. So that's why I had so many kids because I had like one family that had like four kids and the other family that had like three kids. And so,
0: and this isn't just a good idea. This is research based, by the way, families staying together is critically important to people's development.
2: Yes, it really is. I, I strongly agree in that. And so, and, and typically, you know it's not by choice of the Department of Social Services to split up families, but sometimes they just don't have a facility that they can keep mm-hmm. the families together so it just so happened that i was I was able to do that so i i kept the um i made an agreement with the Department of Social Services. I had the parents sign a contract I made sure that they went to everything from life skill classes to uh counseling to uh education and uh job searches and then i also did drug testing for one of the parents because she was on heroin at the time so i did regular drug testing for her and um ultimately they have their children so they're living great now they're and sober and their kids and them are flourishing uh, as we
1: speak. So it was a success. It was a success. I I have a question though, because I feel like listening to this, maybe this would be a question for people. It's like, how do you go through your own vetting process of who is for real and who's BS. just playing the game. Well, you know, my, you know, we talked earlier about my background with my ex who Mm would know, when she's on and she's a great co-parent. I, I'm our biggest cheerleader because that's what is best for my two daughters. There were times when I had to make a decision and say like, okay, like I'm either going to have to go to court to fight to keep her, them away from her, which I didn't want to out of spite. Right. Like that's removing the ego part of mm-hmm. it. Right. It's more or less like, you know, understanding. It's what's not the healthiest environment. Right. Right. So like you listen to somebody and you know, you're a compassionate person you're listening to them and they're telling you, no, I want this. But there has to be some guardedness of
2: uh Well, for my, my situation was a little bit different. Um, one family ended up being friends of my son's from school. So they kind of came and stayed the weekend with me, and then I met their mother and then they went back home and the Department of Social Services got called and I was asked to take them. The second situation was uh my best friend, her sister, They took her kids. No one in the family could get them. So they asked me. But for me, my strategy is that's the whole purpose of getting. See, the Department of Social Services delegates every family a social worker. So just like he said, no one wants to take your kids from you. Like that's the last option that's that I want to be the la, I'm the last option. I'm the last stop. I'm I'm for those ones. I'm the last chance. I'm the last chance that you got. So you either going to get yourself together or you're not. So that's when we collaborate with the Department of Social Services because they know better than we do. Who is the best candidates to go into a program that i'm trying to introduce because they would know if they really really want their kids and they really really want to get clean and they really really don't want to be abusive or they really really want to break the chain my main thing is breaking the chain i like to i that's my motto my motto is break the chain i was a victim of when I, I'm not even going to say victim. I'm not a victim, but nice
1: catch. my circumstances. Right. It does a really nice good job, by, by the way. Yeah. Go ahead. Well,
2: thank you. Close. But my Hockey circumstance man. was my parents were sub, under substances. So I chose to not want to go down the same road that my parents went to. Hmm. I chose to want to be different. So I feel like when I introduce my program to people, I want to know, do you want to break the chain?
0: I think it's important to point out right now why Mike and I geeked out over the the catch on not be a victim. I think there's a difference between being victimized, which we can all be, um, certainly. You know, there's scams and there's people who treat us horribly we trust and they break that trust. And then there's uh, being a victim in perpetuity and having a victimhood mentality Mm -hmm. where it almost becomes your identity where you look for reasons to continue in that pattern. Mm And Shuri just, I think she caught herself saying, you know, I'm not a victim. Uh, You may have been victimized at some point. That's fine. And that's in the past and it deserves to stay there. Uh, And now you have overcome, you have recovered, you have uh, self-advocated. You can pick whatever narrative you want to script for that. But the idea is that you can create your own future out of that. um, We all get victimized. I mean, (laughs) bait and switches happen at, uh, you know, stores all the time. Uh, hey, you had this thing on sale. It's not there. Will you take the other one? <laughs> okay, sure. well, I guess just got victimized right uh, but but it doesn't have to become your identity, yes, yeah, so and I that's, think that's a cool thing that you're teaching.
2: yeah, that's one thing that that I try to teach not only my biological kids but my foster kids and adopted kids that you go, you go for anything that you want that you can be anything that you want to be that it doesn't people say anything that they want to say they they threw they can throw stones all they want to. But it's up to you to decide who you want to be in life. Can nobody say what you're going to be in life. You can only do and be who you want to be in life. So I, I don't believe in victims because I've, I've come from the bottom up. the bottom. I've slept in tents. I've slept under bridges. I've, I've lived in hotels. I've, I've washed windows and carried bags. My kids have never experienced that, and I made sure of that. So there's no such thing as a victim. You 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 can be a victim if you choose to be a victim.
0: I want you to tell your story um about how you like briefly describe childhood, you you've kind of alluded to it, but then your adulthood with your series of careers and where you are now and how you want to do the the nonprofit thing to help others be encouraged to become this transitional foster Excuse me. Burping into the microphone is good radio. This transitional foster parent uh, role, where you invite the parents in to quite literally live with their children in foster care, so that they're inhabiting the same space and learning the same skills. Um, But also talk about the breaking the chain because I think you've broken the chain. And as a family systems systemic therapist guy, I understand what you mean, but. I want other people to hear it because I think that metaphor is brilliant. So talk about that and talk about how you're literally walking it out.
2: Well, I was born and raised in North New Jersey, East Orange, New Jersey, uh, with my mother and my father. And my mother moved to California when I was young, so I always lived between California and New Jersey with my mom and my dad. And um, so... Eventually, I ended up in California with my mother, uh, in Rialto, California with my mother. And uh, she was a victim of, she was in the whole crack cocaine era. So that was big back in her day. And uh, I ended up in a shelter (laughs) with my mother. And they get weekend passes. And my mom took a weekend pass and took me to a hotel and got high all night. And I got tired of being in a hotel.
0: How old were you then?
2: I was around, I say like 14, 15 years old. Oh, so
0: this is a very clear memory for you. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, like I know the smell of cocaine. I know when my mother's is, high, I can tell in her face.
0: Real quick, because I want to birdwalk this just a bit. Um, what is the crack cocaine era to which you allude? Because Mike and I are white. Dudes, and we
2: know that <laughs> so, like this affected the American community. Mar- I Jersey. mean, yeah. like, uh, yeah, like back in the '80s, you know, the '70s, '80s, you know, it was really big. Um, you know how like marijuana has its like nowadays or whatever, like 2000 mm-hmm. age. Um, mm-hmm. Back in the '70s and the '80s, uh, crack cocaine was a big thing for people to do. So, uh, and it was very addictive and. Mm-hmm. And that's what my parents did. Well, come to find out, my father introduced it to my mother, and that's how it got all started. Okay. So,
1: there, there's a great—I mean, just on a side note, there's a great show on um, cable. I think it's AMC Snowfall. Cable. There you go, Snowfall. Cable. We. we it is the '80s. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
1: on. It's on cable. Everybody, <laughs> people are clouding. There's a lot of jokes being shared at someone's expense. I'd like to give a shout out at whatever things are from the '80s. Um, no, okay. So, like, if you have all right listen, so on on AMC, if all right, yes. Yeah, so we'll yeah, the, you don't up. have bunny ears on your TV, you're not gonna be able to see it. But if you actually have digital AMC, antenna, Mike, <laughs> the oldest guy he's of the group, it back. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, listen. Snowfall actually explains the crack okay. era yeah. of Los Angeles in the early eighties uh, with Reagan and the don't do drugs and the dare and all the corruption that yeah. was there. And uh, so it's just a fascinating thing. So like to just sum it up, someone wants to go watch snowfall, which I recommend, like, that's what she's talking about. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so, cool.
2: And so, um, uh, yeah, basically I just bounced back and forth between um, New Jersey and California. And like I said, I was at the hotel with my mom. I got tired of being there. I went back to the shelter um, without my mother, and that's how I ended up getting put in foster care. So um, I don't regret it. Like I said, I, I, I it, it happened. I didn't want to be in the environment that I was in. I chose to leave, and I got put in foster care. I was in foster care in South Central California, uh, right around the corner from where Friday got shot. <laughs> the movie Friday wow. got shot. I lived two blocks from there. I went to South Central High School, well, middle school, I think, yeah, I believe it was, and um, I went to school in a red, white, and blue outfit, red, white, and blue shirt. That's
0: patriotic. Blue jeans and, ride- <laughs> patriotic. and
2: red, white, and blue chucks, because that was out at the time. And the principal- I would
0: totally wear that. And the
2: principal of the school called me in and told me that it was a blue school and I needed to go home and change. Did you know what that
0: meant? All kidding aside,
2: (laughs) I did not know what that meant. So what what was your that on the way home?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did did you really? No,
2: really, like real life. (laughs) This is really happening.
0: So when the principal called you, like serious question, um, from an ignorant white guy from Reno, Um, when the principal asked you to to go change, and you're from Jersey, what was your response? Why? Did you ask why? why? Yeah. And he
2: basically said, like, we're blue school, we're Crips. And, you, and we have a football game, and you need to go home and change. Because you need to be on our side.
0: And did that, or did that resonate with you, or did you ask more questions, oh, no, or did I you went just home. comply?
2: <laughs> I, w- I was heading home when I got shot at.
0: <laughs> so you had an understanding, at least, that there's a gang culture that existed, and there was a red and a blue side. Oh, and... yes. The Hoovers okay.
2: lived right across the street from the school.
0: What, what, what are the Hoovers? Well, the Whovers Hoovers are, are
2: Crips. Are Crips. Mm-hmm. They're Hoover Crips. They're kind of... They're Crips, but they're like their own gang kind of so they kind of beef with the Crips a little bit because Hmm. they're their own like Crips but I'm look I'm not.
0: You're just like trying to go to school. Yeah, and exactly. I'm, I'm, right. My family's falling apart and I'm in foster care. Yeah. So we're, we're from Jersey, 2,800 <laughs> miles away Jer- from Jersey right. has
1: a different, we have five percenters like there's yeah. different things like the Crips and blood element throughout of the West coast. Mm-hmm. right? And then, so you
2: know, to wrap it up, long story short, I ended it's up. It's a good
0: story though. I mean, I don't think anybody's <laughs> bored.
2: So I ended up calling my dad, like, I got to get out of here. You got to get me out of here. So he got me a plane ticket to come to uh, Connecticut. He was living in Connecticut at the time. So I had a friend that I used to go see after school site, and we had to wash our own clothes. And if we wasn't in the house by 6 o'clock, we was locked out. Now, I'm in foster care at this time. The lady is getting paid for me and I was getting social security from my father because my father worked all his life and I was getting social security from my father. So was she not only getting paid for being taken care of me, she was also receiving my social security check. But if I'm not home by six o'clock, I'm locked out the house. Mm. I have to wash all my own clothes. So I started stashing clothes. Until it was time for me to leave. And I got on a plane and I went to Connecticut with my dad and I found out my dad was still getting high. Mm. So I said, listen, in order for this to work for me, I need you to sign these papers so I can get emancipated. I went and I researched, how can I become an adult for myself at the age that I was? I was 17 at the time. And I found out, "Mm, excuse me, that I can get emancipated, but you have to have an adult to sign for you. Mm -hmm. So it may sound wrong, but I waited until my dad was really, really high, and I had him sign the papers, and I turned the papers in, and I got myself emancipated at 17 years old.
0: Wow. And now, look at you. You're on Noggin Notes Podcast. You've reached the pinnacle of
1: life. Yeah. Not today. at all. Yeah. Just We couldn't just even figure today. out how to get the, my, my four-channel like recorder going earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're going to lose her. She's... Said- <laughs> That's okay. I ordered me some jewelry. On that. Yeah. No. The $5, inter- $5 piece of jewelry. Right. right. The it's interesting thing bad. about what she was, what she was saying though, is like, I think these are the things, so people here are foster care, right? And people mm-hmm. don't necessarily understand what that means. Like, I totally agree. I don't think The details, details down to, so like, they know it's bad. It's a bad thing. Like Nobody wants foster care, right? Like that's the stigma that's been put up. And obviously everyone wants a perfect life, right?
2: Yeah. But to correct you, not to cut you off, but. It's not bad. No, no, I'm talking it's about just, the stigma. Yeah, it's just certain mm-hmm. people. Right. Just in anything that, in anything, in sports, in, in movies, in... I you're mean, always going to have your I bad mean, apples. Yeah, you're always going to, in politics, in anything that there is, it's always going to be someone who's going to damage the, the name of it. By all means, am I not saying that foster care is a bad thing? Howsoever, I just think that it should be another avenue to where the parents can have another chance to get themselves together but still have their children because it's it's not the parents that's affected by by them getting stripped from their their from their children it's the children that get cuz by all means my mom wasn't the best mom she was an addict now mm-hmm. there are functioning addicts not saying that that is a good thing howsoever I feel like if my mother would have had the opportunity to be able to to have an avenue that I'm trying to give where I have them live with their parents but still did have structure then I it may have been different for me. By all means do I not do I regret my life because I am a testimony or I am I can help other people who's in my situation? I, I wholeheartedly believe that everything happens to people for a reason. It may not be the best of things that happen to them howsoever. It's always something I can help someone else. If anything from a car crash to a illness to I mean, just breaking a finger, it's something that you can tell somebody else, like, hey, I went through this and you can get through it too. Or
1: you think about uh, trauma and crisis, right? Trauma mitigation, understanding that, like, mm-hmm. um, people, I think people don't realize, like, how much, like, everything is connected through trauma and crisis, right? So, like, every time a school shooting happens, you think of the victims, you think of the kids at the school, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's normal, right. as you should. But you never think about, like, the victim's cousin, right. who is best friends of the victim, right? But yeah.
2: honestly, no one thinks about the shooter. I mean, okay, well, yeah, yes, the point shooter there. is, it, yeah, he's wrong because he went in there and shot the whole school. But what happened to lead him up to shooting the whole school? everyone's always against the person who did the shooting, but they don't know what that person went through that made them lead up to doing what they did.
1: Well, you, there's an aspect of too. no one really appreciate. No, I, I appreciate it's not the word, but nobody thinks of the shooter's family. Like what if you did hit the marks, right? And what if you really were taken off guard by your son or your daughter going in somewhere and mm-hmm. doing something evil, that's still a trauma. Yeah. You see what I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. but I get what you're saying about yeah.
2: What about that person? I mean, I, well, mean, I don't know, Jay, right. no We have an mean, expert.
1: Yeah, I mean I, don't know about that. I
0: mean,
2: I mean, I'm not saying that they're right for doing what they're doing. I mean, that's not the avenue that you're supposed to take. You're not supposed to say, "Oh, I'm gonna go shoot up a whole school." Howsoever, what did 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 their parents see that coming? Did they did they think about the emotional whatever that that person was going through? Like like they're they're quote-unquote victims themselves because Absolutely. you don't know what they went through that led them up to doing I mean, I have thoughts all the time not saying I'm just going to go out and shoot all my co-workers because I think they're ignorant and they're old and they don't want to learn new stuff, for you real you're saying
0: you need a new job? But- <laughs> Right. But, honestly, kill spot.
2: <laughs> but honestly, I mean, let's, let's be real. No one ever thinks about, I mean, even serial killers, what turned them into serial killers? What made them think about they wanted to do that? No one, no one had thought about them. Like
0: you don't, you don't, so I'm going to cite a friend of mine. Who's a mentor and a colleague, Christian Conti, who, um, he wrote a paper, uh, for, psychology uh it's uh, psychotherapy.net and it's um the dao of anger management and if anybody wants to look that up and dao is uh spelled t-a-o so it's the dao of anger management on psychotherapy.net and there's a subsection in there uh, i think it's entitled or maybe there it, it, there's a sentence in there that says nobody wakes up angry nobody wakes up and decides to be violent Nobody just wakes up in the morning and goes, hey, you know what? Self-harm sounds like a good idea. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to try crack cocaine. In fact, I'm going to try it so hard that I'm going to get addicted to it because that sounds like a good idea. So to your point, there are absolutely factors that go into sculpting the way that people respond to their environments Mm -hmm. and then go about interacting with them. And I think that that needs to be paid heed Because if we don't, what we invite is judgmentalism, and we invite uh, separation and a binary viewpoint of us versus them, where Mm -hmm. we, on the righteous side of not shooting up a school, get to judge and condemn and uh, be in contempt of the person who did the shooting, because they are not like us. Mm -hmm. And, And in fact, it turns out we are very much like each other because we hold the same capacity as any other human being to do what any other human being has ever done. There's a, there's a longstanding adage that says if you're a human being, you therefore possess human capacity and therefore anything that any other human has ever done is human nature. You being a human possess that same nature and you have the same capacity and nature to do that thing. So while the act not, won't necessarily be some act that you and I perpetrate, uh, like shooting up a school or doing drugs, um, The idea is the spirit behind the act, which is victimization, violence, degradation, dehumanization, taking advantage, breaking trust, all sorts of things. And we absolutely have the capacity to do that. And not only do we have the capacity, more than likely, we've actually done it ourselves. And so we we don't want to look at that. So if we take this back to the foster care system. Why, why did Mike suggest that foster care is, uh, is something to be avoided? Well, it's because if you're in foster care, chances are really strong that your family is in a really bad spot and not necessarily doing what's mostly beneficial. And we don't like to separate families. We don't like to separate people from one another and we don't like to put them in foster care. So it's not the foster care in and of itself. That's the problem. It's the process of separation. That's, that's the issue. And I think the stigma that goes along with foster care, just like the stigma that goes along with, um, anything else that we stigmatize is a judgmental nature that says, once you're there, you're always there. We've branded you. We've labeled you. You're now, um, uh, foregone conclusion. And so it, it eliminates hope from the parents that they can ever get their kids back. Uh, they throw their hands there and say, well, you know, the state intervened and now it adds one more excuse to the pile as to why they don't have to try. And what I think is really innovative about your program is that you've got this, uh, I guess, just say no attitude. where You're like, no, 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 we're not going to go that direction. We're just going to say, no, we're not going to break these people up permanently. We're going to reunify and we're not going to reunify because the court said to, or because research says to, we're going to reunify because it's the freaking right thing to do. Right. We're going to keep families intact, and by God, if we have to do it under my roof, that part, we're going to bring these parents in, and we're going to reunify them ongoing, every day of the week. And I'm going to be the one to teach them everything their kids are supposed to be learning anyway. We don't treat these people in a vacuum. We don't treat the kids in a vacuum. We don't treat the parents in a vacuum. We, we bring them together. And as a family systems therapist, I mean, like, I'm over the moon about this kind of idea because it, it invites so many more opportunities for success and healing. And, and, and when people heal, we all benefit, you know.
1: Yeah. Can I can I just interject? Something? No. Michael yes, Cuddihy did not say foster care is a bad thing. I no, said he it's didn't. A stigma, so I just don't want people running around. Well, you
0: you stepped out to to go tend <laughs> to the facilities, and right. you missed the part
1: where okay. I I uh, papered that over. Yeah, No, it. but but I want I actually want to say something though because this this brings up an interesting question, um, and I, I'm only going to go from an experience that I had uh, and. and Jake, you know a little bit about my background, a uh, mm-hmm. little bit about me having custody of both my daughters, mm-hmm. right? Um, and getting that probably at a time when I really wasn't ready, but I got it.
0: Um, when side, I, side note, by the way, parents who are listening were never really ever ready to have kids. That was, well, true. I had <laughs> always son an excuse. At 18, everyone, and, and I had days, mine. Right? I had mine at thirty-six. And I'm still not ready. Well, so. I can, You could but always anyway. find an
1: excuse, right? Yeah. Like, like there's, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't. Have enough, whatever. Yeah, when the loans are paid right. off. When, it, yeah, yeah. Right. It's always something. My teddy bear, I lost him. I can't have a kid. Yeah, right. like, like, there's always something. But so, when I got custody of my daughters, I didn't know how to. Handle them in certain ways that I always kind of defaulted to my wife for. I didn't know how to brush their hair.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, so it's weird. Here you have a guy living in a high rise, right, on the Vegas Strip, mm-hmm. and
0: not ideal. One would think. No, absolutely. Almost not. like foster care.
1: Right. Right. Well,
0: <laughs> we just said we just had a gravity <laughs> air get sucked out of the room moment for those of you who are well
1: paying attention. Uh, so when when I was awarded that, and I wasn't going for that because I wanted my ex-wife, to, to actually have the children. Just things got out of control. That's a whole other podcast. could mm-hmm. be four. Okay, so I'm taking these two young girls, right, six and four, into this high-rise up into Vegas, and I'm not equipped for the day-to-day things that I put on her, mm-hmm. which is the hair brushing. Which was, you know, teeth, I, mean, I, I kind of knew that no I'm <laughs> right. just saying no, some, but, but, being
2: the no parent is hard. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Being it's it's a difference between being the part time parent, which is the cool parent. The part time parent is the cool parent. Let's just be real. Right. The Part time parent is the cool parent. And the full time parent is the parent that has to say no. You're the no. So you became the no parent.
1: And
0: Yes. And by the way. Because this is clinically relevant, and I think people like to hear this stuff. In a balanced two-parent household, you're always going to have that dynamic. You're going to have uh, in object relations what we call the the, the the environmental mother and the nurturing mother, and it's not gender specific; they're, no, they're just both not. mother. But the the nurturing mother says. Here's 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 your new nurturance and your your protection. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, your uh, your uh, provision and uh, and and the and all the things that you need. And then and the environmental mother says no,
2: right. don't touch
0: the stove, mm-hmm. stay away from the bugs, don't pet the bee. Mm-hmm. Um, and the child typically cannot differentiate between the two because it's, they're they're trying to figure out how can you love me and hate me at the same time because they don't understand that it's all love yes. and that you're saving them from certain things that will cause them problems um and in a single parent household you have to play both roles yes, you do. and absent one or the other stepping into the other is very very
1: challenging mm-hmm. yeah i agree the, there are certain things about that that statement that you just said that i will honestly say i failed as a father back then but mm-hmm. i told you like when we were talking earlier remember yeah. when you told me the ages of your kids and i said it's a that terrible age. Yeah. Sucks. Everybody hates it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like I, I totally disagree with y'all because I hate teenagers. I, I love them when they're Well, we're, it.
0: I'm not there they, yet. They listen to me. It they, may
1: get they worse. They ran
2: around. They played. You changed the diaper here and there. It was awesome. Teenagers are demons, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're demons, Spawn.
1: All right. So let me tell you where I'm going with this, though. <laughs> Hashtag non I would be afraid also. of her if I was a teenager. Um, no. So where I'm going with this is that there was one person in my life that was a single mom that lived like four floors above me that you know the the term it takes a village right Mm -hmm. um it it was great because she would come down with her kid the kids would play together and she was on it like there were certain things that i learned from her just through watching the way she behaved with her child and then when she saw me trying to brush hair she was like what the what the hell are you doing? Don't go against the lane. <laughs> yeah, like, you can't, you gotta start here and go, uh, you know, like, why are you twirling the brush? <laughs> like, little things. No like, one does that. But it, so, and, and some of the philosophies that came out of her mouth and everything, the way she was, um, I loved it over the years living there and knowing her, she got to a point in her life where she fell on some hard times. And I remember that she let her daughter go live with the daughter's grandparents. And I remember because she was telling me and she was making all these excuses, like this is temporary or whatever. And and my first reaction was, and it's because of my ex-wife and everything we went through is like, don't let society tell you that giving up your child for a better life is the move, like, or not the move. It, to me, mm-hmm. what I loved is that she was putting the child in the best position to succeed which i think is hard to do especially when you're a mother right oh yeah we gotta let go
0: of your own ego
2: yeah your own ego
0: says i know best for my kids maybe maybe you don't i'm not like i played baseball my whole life and i might not be the best baseball coach for my kids and that's gonna be a tough pill to swallow if and when it comes to that point my kid may choose to play the clarinet instead of the trumpet i'm a trumpet player that's going to be really hard to let go of. But you have I to let, let them live the life do. that they
2: want to live. You have to support anything you that they want to do. You have to let them know that you love them and support what they do no matter what. As long as it's not bad or criminal, you have right. to support them because their dream is not your dream. That's kind of like, oh, just like you were speaking to me earlier and you were saying, hey, you was around cops your whole life. Now, they they could have been the kind of parents that'd be like, I want you to be a cop. You're going to do everything that I want you to do, and you're going to be a cop.
0: Turns out my whole family tried to get me to not be a cop. See?
2: So, (laughs) you know, they let you do what what was in your heart. And that's what I, I strive for for any of my kids, mine or not mine biologically. Like, just do what you feel that you want to do that makes you happy in your life. I should wholeheartedly support you as long as it's not negative.
1: Like okay, so circle back. The reason why I told that story is what happens when someone wants to be a parent and they can't let go of that ego. So like, what you're doing oh, about the screening process, did, the right? Like, see that that's the, the thing. Like sometimes you want to say to a parent, you know what? Maybe it's better you go to Maine and let. Me.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> you
2: have to give everyone. I mean, I believe wholeheartedly in giving people second chances. I mean, because. Some, that, Like I said earlier, that's where the counseling comes in because sometimes you can't see what someone else sees. Sometimes it takes that outside look to be like, hey, did you think about it this way? Mm-hmm. Instead of going down road A, maybe you can go down road B. But you got road B, but did you know you had road C too? So sometimes you think that you only have one road that you can go down. But it takes another person to step in and say, hey, there's another way that you can do this. So I wholeheartedly believe in giving people a second chance. And that's where I also say the social workers play a big role in that because they know like, like, um, there's different avenues. Sometimes you just don't realize that there's another road that you can take and you you get stuck. You get, you get. You get. I have anxiety. I suffer from anxiety, to be honest. And I know it. So some people don't know it. Some people don't know how to be parents. Some people don't know if they're suffering from mental illnesses. Some people don't know that some things are hereditary and, you know, there's other people that will listen to you and help you go down the right path that you need to go through. I didn't know. You know, I it took someone else to let me know that hey, you need to talk to somebody.
0: I just want to appreciate your vulnerability right now. Thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people share that similar mindset. I know I did and um I may have recognized years years and years ago that I was in a depressive funk and I wasn't going to go seek help and I could reach for a variety of reasons, too. Uh, lack of insurance, don't want to pay, I can tough it out, uh, white-knuckle it myself, I'm a dude, dudes don't suffer that. So part of the message is, I mean, I'd like to make mental wellness cool. I don't want to destigmatize anything because the, the very idea of de-anything or not something puts your brain in the thing you're not trying to think about. So when we say destigmatize mental health, our brains don't go to the D they don't even really process that they process the stigmatization of it. so I, I just want to flip the script all together and say make mental health treatment cool. Mm-hmm. So we're we're taking selfies in the lobby of Zephyr Wellness and saying, "Get my anxiety treatment on." You should too. Click uh, and post to Instagram, just like we're uh, posting our CrossFit videos and whatnot. So I think I think making mental wellness cool is a big part of this. But the first step is recognizing that you have it, exactly, and that it's temporary mm-hmm. and can be overcome, just like any other illness. Yeah. Because if it weren't, and if it were permanent, my profession would cease to exist. Yeah. And I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people being able to change, tapping into their infinite capacity to do all things great and terrible. And hopefully we guide them toward the great and not the terrible. Uh, And to Sheree's point, when we start to introduce people to the idea that they're infinite in their capacity, we don't have to pigeonhole them anymore into thinking that whatever they're dealing with is permanent. So we do get to give them a second chance or a third or a fourth or an 18th and it doesn't really matter as long as there's some coaching and structure and consultation that goes along with it because what we're essentially doing is saying, I don't believe that your outward behavioral presentation represents the entirety of you. You are deeper than that and I believe that you can tap into more to be a better parent, to be a better athlete, to be a better boss, to be a better husband, a a, child rear, a lover, a, you know, giver to society. There's always something greater and deeper. And if you think back to earlier in the conversation, when I said any human being who's ever done anything, uh, therefore represents human nature. And all of us being humans have the same human nature. We are capable of doing anything anybody else has ever done. Mm -hmm. So why not reach for the great? Like, don't, don't limit yourself by saying, well, you know, I came from this upbringing and therefore I'm subject to this for the rest of my life. That can't be further from the truth. And and how self-limiting is that? Like, it takes away your own personal agency. It's very self-defeating. It's de- Frankly, it's depressing. Like, I want to encourage people to go out and do great things and, and swing for the fences.
2: I tell my kids all the time, if you're going to do something, do it 110%. Don't be mediocre. Don't give them the bare minimum because that's a representation of you. So if you want someone to think you're mediocre, then you're gonna do a mediocre job. Mm-hmm. If you want someone to think that you're a hundred percent, you're gonna do a hundred I me mean, I believe if you're on time, you're late. If you're early, then you're on time. Right. So that's what I teach my kids. Well
0: it's about priorities too, right? Yeah. So we we Christian Conti, who I mentioned before, he's got this phrase that says, People see your in your actions, not your intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think it just stands on its own. I don't think it needs any explanation. So let's wrap this up because we're pushing an hour and no, uh, we got three, people's yes. attentions. Sp- oh no, no <laughs> doubt. Um, but I think people's attention span may be limited somewhat. Um, I know they don't necessarily like listen to my voice for a long period of time, but tell me how you guys want to promote the common good by setting aside yourselves. Mike, you just, um, left your profession for all intent and purpose to commit yourself to this Walk the Talk America. Mm-hmm. And I want you to plug that more because it needs to be plugged more. And Sheree, you do have a like full-time day job. You have like two of them, actually, and, and you work in accounting and, and finance. And we never actually got to your, your adult uh, uh, process to, to get you where you are, but um, that's a cool story. But how are you – you're setting aside yourself to do the greater good and you're not really asking for – Millions of dollars to make it happen, so that you can buy jets to fly around the world or build big swimming pools in your backyard. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do.
2: Right.
0: I don't know who wants to go first. Who do you go first?
2: Well, for me, I I mean, just like you said, I just I just want to be make a difference. Um, being that I was in foster care myself and I had foster children, I just understand the system. And I feel like it'd be better for the parents to be together with their children and work on whatever they need to work on to be self-sufficient for themselves and their children than to just rip the children. Not saying that the Department of Social Services just rips children. It's just a statement, you know, Mm -hmm. and from the home and place them in someone else's home. It'd be better for them to be with their parents and what Mike does is wholeheartedly connected to what I do because if your mental is not together, if you if you can't mentally know who you are and what you want to do or who you are as a person, then you can never help your children or anyone else. And it took me personally to go through that experience to know that that, that took a big chunk out of what helped me to be able to help others. So everything that Mike is doing is incredible. I wholeheartedly um, want people to look into his nonprofit because your mental health is, is what gears you to be the best person that you can be for not only yourself, but for your family. So my nonprofit is that I'm hoping to build. I just want to get more board members that's on the same level that, that understand what I'm trying to do. And I really want to uh, push what I want to do uh, to be successful, not only for myself to help other people, but for other people to be able to help themselves and their families.
1: Your turn. <laughs> tough to yeah. follow that. Yeah, right. the The board member thing is like a whole show in itself. It
0: really is. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, to to be a non nonprofit. I mean, for the listening audience, like to to be a nonprofit organization, c three. You need you need this executive board. and You need to file paperwork, and the government needs to know who's in charge and all that stuff. And it's very tough to get people to commit. And you can speak to that because you
1: you had to do it. Um, I think but, I think uh, to, for the listening audience, um, the, and we, we kind of disagreed about this earlier, but board members, like being on a board of a company, being on a board of a nonprofit, to me, it's like birds who say we have to fly south, mm-hmm. but we don't know why we're flying south. So there's so many people that you say, hey, I have a board, and it sounds prestigious, like being yeah, it's
0: it. a resume item, right? Right, exactly. Turns out there's work involved.
1: Um my <laughs> whoops. Right. My recommendation with the board thing, like I said, that's a whole show in itself, would be to fi- good like what she said actually is a huge problem. Is you can find a lot of people that'll be enthusiastic about being on your board. It's whether or not they believe in the cause or actually are going to put something towards it. But this goes back to why we're together right now, like what brought us in the universe mm-hmm. together. Um Walk Talk America, all right, is a fundamentally based on everything that she talks about i do not like that i'm associated i do i love my people of the 2a community 2a meaning second amendment, second amendment gun, gun, rape, gun culture gun, gun people gun proponents yeah. right in the end though it, it's we are mental health awareness and also our policies and programs are going to make change i don't want i i don't want people just to see us as gun people right you're people People, but they're people. people. Right. And that's the one you thing talked that about i talked earlier. Because yeah. I'm not a gun guy. I'm the most ungun-gun guy. Yeah, that's right? your tagline. <laughs> that's my ungun-gun guy. Right. It's just finding an avenue through this. So I think what she's doing is amazing. That's what attracted me to her when she was talking about trauma mitigation, uh, which I think is a huge thing. I think that's it it's a, it's everything. Right. It's everything. I think most people forget that trauma mitigate that phrase needs to actually be more in the front, forefront than stigma. Because I think yeah. people need to understand that. Well, it's normal, mm-hmm. right? So, so when, I, when I
0: teach on emotional functioning, I teach about how when we erroneously exceed our emotional capacity, like when we're developmentally at age, whatever we are, and we experience something that isn't supposed to be exposed to us till developmental age, something greater, that's trauma. And it doesn't matter what it is. We do. I think we tend to think of trauma in terms of you know terrorist attacks and uh, you know violent acts perpetrated upon people. But trauma is simply is simply something that you're not prepared for that um, brings you into a level of alert that you simply didn't train for or anticipate for a development to uh, mm-hmm. develop into. And trauma mitigation is is everything because it scars us it sears the brain yes in smaller magnitudes sometimes than others but the point is it's it's absolutely affecting lots of people in ways that they're probably not even acknowledging so sorry i just yeah
1: to me it's like your point. trauma mitigation is like weight loss when you feel like you're too heavy like you see, did you mm-hmm. did you get that like what i just said there like the way we talk about it, because well, like that's no problem. Like we always talk like I, I, I put on some. It's background. normal
0: parlance, is what you're saying. Yes, we want to make it part of the everyday vocabulary of America, where you go, yeah, I'm not doing so well. What can I alleviate in my life that's causing me X psychological disturbance?
1: Right, I'm not sure why I feel that way. Right, because no one explained to me. Like I said, this person's gone. And I had a million questions, but maybe I was afraid to ask why right. this person has gone. And I never, I just moved forward because I didn't want to seem weak or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what, try, like, this is what it's all about. It's because like so many things I think go back to what we haven't dealt with or never had been explained to us in a certain way. But anyways, we'll go four hours if, if you let me go. Um, walk Talk America. <laughs> walk the Yes, walktalkamerica.org. Um, and hopefully we're in a podcast like in a few months and things really have taken off because this is a beautiful woman here.
0: You can't see Mike because it's audio and he's pointing to her. Uh, (laughs) And I'm still here. And she is beautiful and you can't see that either, but maybe we'll post some pictures.
1: Yeah, we'll post some pictures and you can feel what she says in her soul. That's the only thing that matters. Truly. Well, I'm
0: I'm, I'm stoked to have had you guys on. Thank you very much, um, both of you, Thank from you for the bottom me of my this heart. This
2: is my first podcast, you guys. You so. crushed it.
1: Yeah, there you he go. Crushed <laughs> it.
0: And um, it's it's getting super late here. We um, we went way too long trying to figure out the technology. But even before that, we had a couple hours worth of conversation uh, in advance, and then we decided to pull the trigger on the podcast. And, <laughs> so, long she story short, work
2: tomorrow. Why do these guys get the? Relax.
0: No, he I, does not. He I does actually, not work too? I actually get to wake up about five thirty. Oh, me too. Five thirty. Go pick squad. up people from the airport.
2: <laughs> I have to be to work by six thirty. So I can
0: get up by five. Um, Shrey Miller, uh, Mike Sadini. thank you both very, very much for uh, contributing to the advancement of the dialogue around mental health and wellness. And on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness family and the Noggin Notes team. I wish you all great mental wellness. Take care.